I think we should just back into it. I mean, I think. I think is this the fiction that you were talking about? That, that doesn't go in my knobber anthology. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know what? I'm not even going to do an introduction this week because I think, I think anybody out there who's pushed their play button on their magic podcast machine already knows that this is the Acme Writing Academy, and they already know that this is Rick Crisman. Joined as usual by Mike Magnuson, Marcello Vasquez, Bob Clark, and Jim Frank. And in fact, if you look at the little title in the box, you'll know that today we're talking about genre. Anyhow, I wrote thinking about this. I, I wrote a little rant, and I'm going to start with that, and then just give it up to you guys. And and here's what I wrote. All right. The more I think about this, the more I'm choosing to take a hard line and say that as far as writers are concerned, genre is bullshit. If there's any point to creative writing at all, it's to get down to the specifics of the world. The breath, the pimple, the musky aroma, the hitherto unseen, the chronosynclastic infundibulum, the individual strands of hair and toenail clippings and lines of ants across the kitchen floor, 27 names for love and the mind simultaneously holding contrary opinions and so forth. Genre? Fuck that. We want Led Zeppelin, not heavy metal. Jesus, not Christians. Fresh ground chuck with Tillamook cheddar, not a Big Mac. Marcello's roast chicken, not Chick-fil-A. Mozart, not Salieri. Geneva, not gin. You, get, you getting where I'm going with this? So anyhow, I think we want the exception and not the rule, and we want the first and not the rest. So I'm going to say genre. We got the generic, common, definable characteristics versus art, which is the unlookable, the uncommon, and the exception. You know, what you're saying is true. You know, like, fuck genre. We should be able to do whatever we want. If I want to write a spy novel followed by a Western, followed by a serious novel of manners set in Wales, okay? I should be able to do that. Okay, but, but what if but, in your but, mind you don't see that as three different things? What if in your mind those those are just three different subject matters that you write according to your own well, aesthetic? Your publisher... And Amazon.com and all that, they all going to think that way. Your publisher actually is. Amazon is not. Amazon, an author can publish. It doesn't matter what genre you're, you're in because you're not. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's no there's no finite shelf space. Right. You click on the author, right? Ah. So you read by the author. Uh-huh. Instead of reading by crime and detective fiction, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's true. Why don't we find crime and punishment in detective fiction? It's not. Well, I mean, it should be fucking. I think it's important. You know, I I I was thinking about uh, travel writers like Bill Bryson, and I had that exactly the same thought. Like, I don't know if you guys read any of his stuff. I I like his books a lot. Love them. Okay, so he's considered a travel writer, but you know, you don't think, gee, I want to I want to read some travel writing. Oh, maybe I'll try Bill Bryson. No, you think, I want to. I hear Bill Bryson's got a new book, and I'm going to read it. And then, oh, look, it happens right. to be about the Appalachian Trail or, or walking through Australia or, or whatever, right? So like you say, you, right. go, you go to the author, and then you go wherever the author wants to take you. And, he, and Bryson, you know, you wouldn't hold him up as like a Rick Steves. Rick Steves, I think, there's your generic genre travel writer, right? Uh, right. But Bryson, you know, he, he transcends it. The first Bill Bryson book I got, didn't he do... Uh... Fly Fishing Through a Midlife Crisis. Isn't that his book? Or is that Girok? John Girok. Right. I can't, I, I can't remember which author it is right now. There are some other books about 
uh, Bill Bryson on the Appalachian Trail, for instance. Mm-hmm. That's true. And, they, uh, they made the movie out of that. You know, I never saw it. Terrible, the, that book. terrible movie. One of my favorite books. I love the book. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you know, my wife got me those books partly because she knows that I like the Appalachian Trail and I like fly fishing. And so she found those in the nonfiction section. I didn't know who Bill Bryson was. And she, she selected them based on more or less the subject matter, which is nonfiction outdoor writing. We've talked about Melville, but I mean, Melville was a, a writer of adventure stories. In the middle and the late 19th century and early 20th century, those adventure stories were, were popular because they were reports from the world that people at home couldn't get to. Exactly. What sort so, of stories I mean, were they? Were they um, were they nonfiction well, or? Well, Melville's first three novels are all autobiographical fiction. Mm-hmm. But but if you take someone you know sixty years later in Conrad, there's a great quote in uh, this week's uh, New Yorker about Conrad, and I think it sort of fits with what you say, Rick. But originally, when he was you know marketed, he was marketed as the greatest sea writer of all time, and. Mm-hmm. Conrad objected to that, and he says, I've written far more novels about other things than the sea. He said the sea That's only... That's why he wrote Heart of Darkness. He says, fuck the sea. We're going on a river, bitches. Right. <laughs> but I mean, 1905, he writes, uh, he writes The Secret Agent, which is, you know, uh, a detective sort of uh, spy thriller. So he writes one of the first spy thrillers, and it's, it's largely a comedy. So, I mean, I think one of the things that you guys are, are raising is, is it a story about a detective... Or is it a detective story? Is it a horror story or a story of horror? Mm-hmm. Is it an adventure story or a story of adventure? And I think, you know, just by making that little shift, I think probably identifies those works that we tend to think of as defying genre, which is a detective story rather than, I mean, a story about a detective rather than a detective story. So well, I think, I, you know, when I, you look at something like, uh, Raymond Chandler, those strike me as a story about a detective rather than a detective novel. So in other words, that's that's the way we're, you're saying it. just the subject matter happens to be a detective. Exactly. Whereas you know? a detective story is the genre novel that fits the expectations of a, a detective story as kind of traditionally evolved. So, so I want to ask Mike, um, Mike, you've written bicycle stories, right? You wrote for Bicycle Magazine. Yeah. And... I was thinking about that and, and whether is that a genre or is that just the subject matter that you I mean, I think of you as a writer, as, as somebody who writes personal sports narratives and the subject matter happens to be bicycles because that getting back to our world thing is what you're enthused about. Right. I guess I, I was more enthused about it, about it before I started writing about it all the time. I can tell you that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. But things change and so so like when we're talking about this kind of broad scale thing like when literature developed how did the genres appear and and so forth and i think that's an interesting thing to consider but you know man for a practical concern for a writer who needs to publish material today you know whatever the history is is irrelevant you got to deal with what there is now you know and and genre itself is is really confining you know, we, we talk about literary writers, the heroes of our age who have written Westerns and detective novels. You know, Cormac McCarthy comes to mind. Huge sure. range. You know? right. But he's a rare literary star, and we always know it's literature. 
you know, he's celebrated as a guy who can do anything. You know, Bolaño, we always talk about Bolaño. He's all mm -hmm. different kinds of styles. It's a rare thing. But for the other people, you know, for, for most readers and for most writers, they're working in a thing where once you do a thing, you're going to have to do that thing again and again mm -hmm. and again. Yeah. That's how people read. I, I talked with uh, Kate Kennedy, the writer, yesterday, and she was uh, she was uh, holding forth for this thing that, that when you write, you inhabit these characters and it's it's not you at all and there should be no writer in it and all that stuff. And then I, I told her, I, I thought, you know, man, when I read, I always read writers. You know, you go on a JAG, mm -hmm. you read, you know, right. Right. 15 or more Leonard books or or whatever. You get, you know, Haru, Haruki Murakami I got into a little while ago. Just There you, you go. Know. And who cares what it's you about? Know? Right. Right. I, so, so I read by authors and I think most people really do. You know, but if you read within a genre, then there are authors within the genre to read too. And if you publish, if you if you're a regular mid-selling author, even on the low end of it, if you start out writing one thing, you're going to have to stick with it. You know, in my case, I started out literary fiction. I guess you know, literature of the white trash or whatever yeah. I was trying to do. Yeah. And then, man, I published one goddamn piece in uh, in uh, GQ about mm -hmm. riding my bike. Yeah. You know, and uh, they published that picture of me naked riding my bike. <laughs> and, man, I never was allowed to write literature again. You know, I, I might have achieved some literature kind of stuff in my bike riding. But, I mean, I couldn't convince my agent for years. Man, I said, well, I'm going to write this book about this. <clears throat> How about something with bikes? Yeah. I, I got to meet an editor. I got, you know, an editor at Nation Books. I had looked at a proposal of mine writing about politics and political history in Wisconsin, the John Birch Society, which is real near where I live. And I was so excited he wanted to talk to me. It was great. You know, I was, oh, he thought I was a political expert. And then about 20 minutes into the conversation, he says, you know, what would be really interesting if you wrote something like the people's history of the bicycle in America? <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> well, he's already thinking how he's going to market you. I know. So maybe I should. Say, I but but wait a minute. Let's go back to what we were talking about. Bikes, all the fuck. Let's talk about what we were talking about Murakami, and it doesn't matter what the subject is. So fine, write about That's the fine. history of bikes in America, and you know, the Mike Magnuson way, and make it whatever. I mean, you can pick out anything and make it any kind of a story, right? Where riding bicycles is just simply the the area or the the venue where the story occurs. Then he's happy, yeah, and right. you can indulge your literariness right i, I mean think, that this no. is what i learned from you mike seriously i think i think uh don't ever I listen think, to your teacher i know i'm trying to get over it yeah you know what i think i think what mike's driving at a few writers achieve and and i kind of like genre fiction but i mean there's this book that i that i read recently called gentlemen of the road by michael shaban you know he won a pulitzer prize for the yiddish policeman's ball and the wonder boys in yeah. Summerland, Telegraph Hill, Telegraph Hill, Wonderful, which I'm still trying amazing, to get through. The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, and and he's a writer who has deliberately tackled one genre type after another with his books. Whether it's about comic books, whether it's a campus novel, whether it's a novel about you know adventure, whether it's a detective novel. He's, or a young adult novel, he's gone ahead and he's tried to go ahead and and write books that are, as I was talking about 
earlier, not a detective story, but a story about a detective in the Yiddish Policeman's Ball. Uh, when he writes about an adventure, he's writing about an adventure, but not an adventure story when he's talking about Gentlemen of the Road. And, you know, I think, you know, by sort of approaching his, uh, his, his writing that way, I think that he's sort of been able to avoid getting pegged as a particular kind of writer. Here's a fairly uh, new genre, isn't it? Alternative history? Is that, have I missed it all these? Alternative oh, history, that's a different one. Huh? <laughs> that's a whole other genre. That's my gerbils. That's filed on their gerbils. It's a genre, right? Wasn't he, was he the chicken farmer or, was he, or, the, or the other one? I feel like I'm uh, living that alternative history. Uh, uh, you like Gables it? was the novelist. We discussed well, that goes this. With your, that goes with you being a contrarian, Jim. No, it does. And he, and he titled that novel after you, Mike. Girl's right. novel is Michael. Novel's name Mike. Michael. Michelangelo. All right. Yeah, okay. I'm curious. Have we always had genre? Jim. Jim, you'd made some comments about what is it? Poe or pre-Poe or somewhere in the past where. Well, I mean, what's the, didn't people, wasn't there a point where people just used to write shit and hope it would get read? And then at what point did we, you know, bifurcate all this stuff or trifurcate it or whatever we're doing? Well, for one thing, it probably had a lot to do with uh, the advancements in uh, the publishing industry, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, it was, back in the it was, day, they couldn't put out as many books as can be put out now. They can put out a thousand genres. Well, we if, had genres. If I remember, now if, if I remember the, um, my Victorian class with Oliver S. Buckton, mm-hmm. Victorian I'll be literature back to course. Him. Um, it has to do with the the way, for example, John Keats and and these type of poets and writers, and they came from aristocratic or wealthy families, and they had a patronage or patronage system. Things changed when the first novels started getting the publication, where the printing press and all that kind of crap. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with the hand press. Right. Um, so I, I think there is a history to it. There is a history to the production of literature. There's oh, certainly, I certainly it, right. it predates that. But it does. It goes, all the, it goes all the way back to Aristophanes, and it goes all the way back to the Greeks with yes. tragedy, yes. comedy. In the early 1800s, so, um, there was the idea of the romance and the novel as being distinctly different types of narrative fiction. And, yeah, uh, and, the sat- and the satires aren't, aren't, aren't actually satires. And satire was another variety as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, by the time we get to Poe, things are starting to get categorized. I, I was wondering if part of the reason for it was uh, the rise of science in the early 1800s and through the 1800s, where we begin to, you know, use a taxonomy to talk about plants and animals and things like that. And so... Uh, they just went ahead and used a taxonomy to describe works of literature because you see more and more mm-hmm. categories of literature as you proceed through the 19th century. Uh, Poe sort of invents the, the detective story with murders under Rue Morgue and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I have to go back to something I thought about, thought about, and especially in uh, the Enlightenment period where nations start appearing, you know, French literature, sure. And yeah. literature was, but I think you're right about the defining nationality. Yeah, I think you're right about production because if you can categorize it as a, as a detective story, well then that's you can produce it and, and, and you know sell a lot of copies of it. And you got your elevator pitch right there. 
It's a detective story about da right. da da da. Right. And as soon but, as you but, say I, that, but, you've, but you've marketed I don't think, it. But I, if you look at like um, Stevenson's Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, try to read that fucking thing. Right. But um, it's the last part. It doesn't really follow the rules of any type of genre. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the proto genre or you know strange tale and i don't know you can call it detective or maybe what is it um fantasy kind of a horror yeah. i don't know what genre would really fall into well i mean if uh, it was horror. a movie it would be horror 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 yeah yeah but but today i think the genres are much more defined and much more limiting and much more confining they're a much clearer <clears throat> mode of production i mean daniel Steele. i don't know if she's still writing but there's the romance novel there's the crime fiction novel you can just go to a bookstore and i like what mike said like amazon is almost that that that's not really the category that they're using those type of categories boy i you know we talked a lot about like whether it's more complex or there are more different genres or anything but god i just i was just thinking about shakespeare i was thinking about hamlet yeah. right and do you remember when the actors show up and polonius brings in the actor that he's with the hamlet he's trying to explain how great they are Right, Polonius right. says the best actors in the world, either for tragedy, comedy, history, pastoral, pastoral, comical, historical, pa- pastoral, tragical, historical, tragical, comical, historical, pastoral, scene, indivisible, or poem unlimited. Seneca cannot be too heavy, nor Plautus too light. For the law of writ and the liberty, these are the only men. And Hamlet says, "Oh, Jephthah, judge of Israel, what a treason hadst thou!" You know. <clears throat> Anyways. That's a great scene in Hamlet, of course. Right. But man, I don't know when Hamlet was written sixteen something, you know, right around sixteen hundred. Right. Know? And obviously, in the marketplace in London at the time, there was a hell of a lot of different subgenres of plays. There had to have been, or they wouldn't be making jokes about it. Okay, and you know, but at the same time, realize what Shakespeare is saying in that passage. He's saying genres are bullshit. <laughs> Yes, or exactly. These, these cats can they can do anything. Man. These, these cats can kiss my ball. ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yet, they were in and, his play. <laughs> and, and yet Shakespeare plays to the genres because he has what a dozen histories, maybe more. And I mean the historical plays vary too, because I mean King Henry the Fourth parts one and two and King Henry the Fifth form a trilogy, which is also a coming of age story in that kind of right. a genre. The I'm rise curious, of the actually, king. I, I know little about and, Shakespeare and himself. Did he actually sit down and say, "Okay, I'm going to write a history now"? No, and, but of course. But Rick, we're talking about plays, something that something that was in the act was being produced. It was being yeah. there was you know some of them were commissioned by William Shakespeare. It's a new tragedy. Yeah, yeah. some of them were commissioned, what, but I mean, you know, to satisfy the royalty, mm-hmm. right? It's how they sold them, uh, right? You know. And, you know, you think about Defiant Judge, I, definitely Henry the Fourth, Part One, especially, comes That's, to mind. It's an awesome you know? play. I, yeah. You know, it's really funny. There's fart jokes. Yeah. There's, you know, talk about drinking each other's piss and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Remember that? <laughs> says, what know. says the doctor to his water? It's the big line. And then, Doctors, you, know, you used to have to pee in a cup, and then the doctor would, would take, a, take a little swig, and then that's how he would be able to tell whether you're sick or not. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare had a better <laughs> audience than we have today. Oh, oh God. no kidding. So but okay, so there you have there you have it. The subject is history, the ostensible subject, but the writer is Shakespeare right. just doing his Shakespeare shit. Right. And that's why we go back when we were talking about what right. makes a great book a great book, right? Exactly. The singularity of it, the the uniqueness of the voice, the enthusiasm. 
I think that's so what, true. What about a writer like me who complains? I got pigeonholed, even though you guys proved that I didn't need to get pigeonholed. I was just stupid. I should have just done my thing, you know? Well, you're still but doing I think, your you thing. Know, no, well, well, you still got to make a living. You got to make a well, living. Well, see, right? there's there's that, you know? Pe- people get jaded about that. Like, you know, that I, I'm never going to be taken seriously. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can see how that happened. And all this stuff doesn't do anything to to placate that or to placate the thousands of people trying to write in America, you know, and just think how many people we know who want to be writers, you know, and then what happens? They write a book of a certain sort and they can't get out. You know, Bob and I had, uh, Terry Davis was our teacher in, in Mankato and his, uh, novel vision quest, you know, hmm. I think it sold pretty well, but they made a movie out of it. And it's a young adult novel. It was cause there was kids in it. You know, about a high school wrestler. was real good. Yeah, about a high school wrestler. It's, it's the greatest high school wrestling book there ever really is. You know, it's a good movie. But, too. You know, Terry was had the top scholarship to University of Iowa Writers Workshop when he was like twenty two. After Iowa Writers Workshop, he he was a Stanford fellow. For God's sakes, I mean, this was a man with some serious literary chops. He could fucking write, and he had read everything. I'm telling you, it was super person who could really write anything if he gave him a chance any genre you could think of but because he had that young adult novel there was no way he could publish novels ever again you know right Bob? pretty much ate the man alive ate him alive you know yeah i think it stunned him why didn't he go ahead and write another young adult novel oh he did well he hated it mysterious mysterious ways and if rock and roll were a machine and they're which are okay but you know yeah, they're okay. They're they're great young adult novels. They're great for what they are, for what they do. When he wrote it to begin with, did he know he was writing a young adult novel? Um, he told me he he the, was he hated he hated he told me he hated being at the Iowa Writers Workshop so much that the last day when he was leaving town, he started writing Vision Quest oh, on the road back. <laughs> I got gotcha. you on the road on the road back to uh, <clears throat> Spokane, where he's from. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he had I think he had uh, a tendency to write stories about young young men, not necessarily children, but young men. You know, I don't consider mm-hmm. a, a high school uh, a young man in high school being a kid really much anymore. Yeah, you know, he wrote but he wrote subjects like that, and uh, it just got marketed always to young adult. So it, you know, it, like Mike was saying, you know. You got to keep the wolf away from the door. So, if somebody's buying your work, what are you going to do? But you, you know, I, I think there's some writers, you know, who have done that and figured out how to shake free. I think Sherman Alexie's that kind of a writer. I think once Terry started doing it, he found that he was good at it and he enjoyed it. Yeah, but I, you know, Sherman Alexie has written a couple of books. And, you know, some stories about, you know, young Native Americans. But he's also written, you know, adult works. And he's a terrific writer. He's also just published a memoir here recently, too. Push back the idea that you write about what you know. I think you write about so you get to know what you know. Well, there's that, too, yeah. The Joan Didion thing, right? That's a good point. But if you write about what you know, apparently you're doing it for a reason. Um, We were talking about Shakespeare. Shakespeare, uh, I remember reading a couple of his biographies. Ended up being a rather miserable and jaded son of a bitch towards the end of his life. Right. <laughs> Imagine that. Aren't we all? <laughs> he's probably just, he, he, he thought he, he was a commercial sellout, right? 
he, he, he didn't no, sonnets. He, no, he ended up <laughs> he ended up the end of his life uh, uh, going around and asking you know, people who owed him money that he managed them to pay him. He just ended up being a miserable debt collector. Wow. And it's a, it's, a, it's a story about how he found his will. It was He had hidden one of the tiles of his house. <laughs> Shakespeare's will. Talk about a jaded writers. Here's the greatest writer. In- there's Will Shakespeare and there's Shakespeare's and will. And there's Shakespeare's will. Wow. And, and, a, there's sorry. a story right there, Shakespeare's will. He was by Bill. <laughs> by, by, I'm going to write Bill that Shakespeare. one. <laughs> and he it was could just, be his dog named Will. He was as just as fucking he thought maybe Cervantes was more talented than he was. Didn't those two die in the same year? Cervantes yeah. and... Uh, yeah. uh, Did they really? Uh, really? I mean, Cervantes writes a, a sort of genre of novel, you know, the picaresque. I mean, that's what the Quixote yeah. is, is, uh, is long picaresque. What is um, a picaresque? That's an episodic novel rather than a novel that has a consistent narrative theme running throughout it. Mm. You go from one episode right. to the other with uh, Quixote and... So when I wrote my first novel in Mankato State, mm-hmm. I remember my roommate, who shall remain nameless, always said, well, it's just an episodic novel. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. Right. Thing happened, and another thing happened, and then boom, they were all dead. But right. how about, how about this? You know, Cervantes writes that novel, and then someone shows up and writes a novel that purports to be the continuation of the Quixote. And so, like, in the whole second half of the Quixote... He's writing about this guy who right. wrote, you know, right, right. <laughs> a, a fake a, Quixote, you know. Yeah, he already has an imitator <laughs> within his genre before he's even finished. Yeah, it's like awesome. it's like Mary Harlan Stefaniak said, there, there's your metafiction right there. There's nothing in the modern novel that not that did not occur in the Quixote. Well, right. You, you have the, uh, this is right. probably what made Shakespeare bitter. <laughs> it's what made, it's what made Jorge Luis Borges smart. Pierre oh, that, and then you've got Borges yeah. who takes it a, a a next step with what a Pierre, Pierre Menard, Menard rewriting yeah. the Quixote. Yeah. It's a oh, it's like sorry. the third the third chapter of that. <laughs> now you get the inside joke. Right? Oh, it is. It's, it's hysterical. What about science fiction? Science fiction and fantasy seem to be. It's hard to make the claim that, you know, this is a story about a, a science fiction. You mean or it's this a, is a story, story think, about think, science? Oh, I could point to an example. I think, I think well, I Martin's think I could push examples. I mean, from like, um, what's his face? Uh, Philip K. Dick. You know, you have him and you have people like uh, Ursula Le Guin. Well, even more modern, how about Jeff Vandermeer? Did you read Annihilation? No, I haven't. Is that a good book? Uh, it's hard to say, but you know, it's ostensibly <laughs> science fiction, but it's also kind of a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a travelogue. Uh, oh. it's a metaphysical exploration, but you know, you're going to put it on the science fiction shelf, but it's fantasy. It's fabulism. It's, 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 it's worth reading. It's worth reading in the same way that, um, like Paul Auster's New York trilogy is worth reading if, if you're content sure. to wander around in the darkness and not really quite know what's going on, which is, yeah. which is usually fine with me. <laughs> well, he has detective elements in the, New York tri- in the New York trilogy too. Right. He does, but it's not yeah. so literal, you know, Mr. White, Mr. Blue, Mr. Brown. Exactly. Yeah. Right. 
Marcello, what about Gabriel Garcia Marquez? Is he a genre writer? Is he a magical realist? It's funny, um, translation. He, he's a really good, um, he's a good example or a good representation how when you have a novel translated in English and it becomes the great novel. Mm-hmm. So most most Latin Americans started reading Marquez after he was translated in English, and then, then he went and bought the book, which was originally in Spanish. Really? Which <laughs> <laughs> is like, it's like that's a very Marquezian like, thing to happen. Actually, it actually so, is right. It's so <laughs> Marquez comes to Macondo. <laughs> it's interesting it's an interesting segue into their genre about what you broke up the foreign literature genre like foreign films yep i guess okay with genre when i'm watching the film but i'm not going to read a book that i know it's a western Mm -hmm. like when i read because it's taking me a fucking month to read the damn thing or maybe a week (laughs) i I expect more fireworks yeah, is it the, is it the language? Is it just because like if it's a detective book, it sounds you know it's got that Philip Marlowe feel, you know? Oh yeah, here's an example. Yeah, somebody the turned tone. us on to to this writer uh, Tana French, and she had a big hit with this book into the in the woods, not into the woods, but in the woods. And you know it's a t- detective story, and I read it, and I didn't want to read it, and I was totally sucked in by the language the first few pages, and she'd mm-hmm. gone the extra distance. She'd really made this literary. You could tell that she'd, there was a rhythm to her sentences and a, had a beauty right. to it and eloquent mm-hmm. and eloquence. I enjoyed this novel and I got her next one and she was just going through the motions. I'm pretty sure right. she spent, you know, 10 years writing the first novel and then her publisher said, okay, we need the second one in a year. And, and then all of a sudden she's money. doing work for she's hire and she's doing an imitation of herself. And right. Right. But meanwhile, my wife has read all six of her books, is now sitting home alone, twiddling her thumbs, waiting for her to write another one. <laughs> oh, my God. So, well, you know. Well, different expectations. I guess uh, yeah. some people probably read the way I watch movies. What, what was the cleanest, cleanest wood movie with the non, it was a Western, but it was set in Mexico? Bells for uh, something or other, Sister Mary or what's oh. Right? They the sing in it. They yes. sing in the movie and stuff. Yeah, it's great. It's a music. And, 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 I, and I turned to my dad. And I go, what the fuck are the French doing in Mexico? Just take this opportunity to remind you, you're listening to the Acme Cinema Academy. Oh, gee. <laughs> I know, man. See, that's the problem. You're, the default is to not talk about writing. Yeah. Okay, I, I got to say this. And right now, our listener is sitting there thinking, what am I supposed to do? Oh yeah, you know. I mean, seriously. Read. No, yeah, we we get to that. Of course, you got to read. But I mean, this genre thing. It's the it's the ongoing battle between art and commerce, right? The the desire to be singular and unique and artistic and indulge your 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 deepest skills versus the need to make a living, right? And pay the electric bill. And pay the electric bill, which is right. That's what you do. So you can read. So you can read some more and write some more. Like, or listen to us. like, for instance, there was a point in my life when I was driving a cab and I made money in order to make music. I'd save my money and then I'd take time off and I'd write songs and da 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 da. And then somehow, 20 years later, I was making music to make money and it all flipped around. So, if, if being as, as it were ostensibly a writing academy, if you're somebody now who's saying, well, what should I do? Should you be looking at 
going down and saying, well, who's publishing what and what are the happening genres and how can I slot myself into this, 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 this? Or should you just be saying at this point in your burgeoning career, fuck it, I'm going to do the best work I can answering to myself, let the chips fall where they may. Is, is, I, in other words, the genre is something you should consciously embrace or is it something that you're forced to yield to eventually? I think knowing what you're doing is is, is one thing. You know, like knowing, okay, I'm going to write a Western and it's going to be a Western. I'm going to write a sports book and it's going to be, you know, like this is the audience I'm writing for. I and mean, that's a conscious decision you make as a writer. Right. I, think, I think the book. bigger job as a writer, the biggest, the bigger way to stay sane and to stay in love with the art that drew us to this in the first place is to avoid being uptight about what genres we're into. I mean, I mean, you just know that people like that kind of people that Rick's talking about, like going like, oh, "Who's hot and what genre?" And just, can I can I work my way into that? You know, yeah. like that's different from going, "Hey, man, I love this book about birds in Atacoke in Canada. It's really awesome." And then I, I also really dig this crime book that happens in Berlin. And I also like oh, Finnish poetry. And oh man, here's this Uruguayan novel. Right, right. Selling chickens and chasing, <laughs> and, you know, you see what I'm saying, though. Like, yeah. If you like all the genre, like it's, you, you just can't be uptight about what it is. You know, Dominican Banana Grove novel. The Dominican, I love the Dominican, Dominican Banana, Banana Grove novel. One of my favorite I mean, genres. I've read, I've read several of them, and they just they rock my socks. <laughs> right, but you have to be that way, you know. I mean, because like. You the do. writing and trying to publish is one thing, but being in love with the art is a what? much bigger deal. You know, like when we lose that, then we're lost. And I think you lose it when you but start I, trying to marry yourself down. I only like memoirs by women in the prairies and 48 or, you know. What are, right now, the contemporary, so, the, what are the genres today? Cyberpunk. Steampunk. He's, also, at our age, and at, at, at most of our friends who are writing, and even people are just starting writing right now, you know, we ain't gonna go into no new goddamn genre. You know? yeah. exactly. We're gonna be working within an existing framework, okay? Because we're old but, school. But, but there is a huge market to make money in fan fiction. Fan fiction and video game and video game scripts. And you're right too, Marcello. That area too. I mean, mm -hmm. those two right there. Uh, I, I think those represent, you know, types of writing that, that, that people are intent on doing and making some money, if not making. I, would, I mean, I, I would love to teach a class and just put, okay, creative writing, how to write the video game script. I have no fucking clue. And let them <laughs> and, show and you. Watch it fill up with 30 <laughs> students. No kidding. Okay, and just say, okay, guys, I have no fucking clue. How do you write the video game? <laughs> but here you go. I think, and see I think that I'm, once I'm, again, I'm not saying this in a pejorative way. No, no, I know you're not. The video game is just a different milieu, right? Yeah. In the context of that, you can write any damn thing you want. And if it's, call, it's yeah. compelling enough, it's going to be the thing that sticks out. So rather than, it, I, this is the point I keep coming back oh, to, okay. is rather than thinking about what kind of stuff is selling in video games, you just say, what, what opportunities does this medium provide to me and how can I maximize that, right? To be the best 
in it's like there's a sports writer that I follow on Twitter who's uh, giving up sports writing for a while because he's going to sit down and write a thriller. That's what he said. And I think that's only because, you know, as a sports writer, and he's a pretty good one, uh, you know, um, he sees himself tied to a particular genre of journalism, which is sports writing. So, I mean, maybe he's already geared that way. Maybe, yes, maybe that's the, what I the think. writers that, 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 that you're talking about, Rick, are geared differently. They're geared to not writing a detective novel, but a book about a detective. Having done a bit of sports writing myself, you know, one thing that definitely That's happens right. with that is the more you do it, you start getting good at it. So, if you know, there you go. if you do get stuck, as I was lamenting before, in the genre, you know, you bang out 15, 20, 25, you know, 4,000 word articles and all of a sudden, man, you can, you know. I mean, you're a lot better at it than you were before, just from experience, you know, not even in mm -hmm. a stale way necessarily. Right. You know, you know, so like, yeah, once somebody's been doing something for a long time, but you know, this is the thing that you're talking about, Rick, this isn't making a living, you know, like, like I got paid for these things that sports writer Jim was talking about, got paid for things. So, so you have to do what you can get paid for. Right. But you, you have, know, like even unless the, you have a trust fund or whatever. No, no, but but even in the sports writing genre, you got to be the guy who can do it well. And as we know, for to do it well, you got to be the guy who's enthused about it. Yeah, Your heart's got to be in it because that's what people are going to respond to. And that's oh, not going to be the case if you're somebody who's consciously chosen a genre because it sells and says, "I'm going to write in that genre to make money." I think it's. <laughs> You know, we got a cart, a cart and horse I argument yeah, going here. I don't think no, you can just no, the do, genre, do that unless you. you have a love and a study of that genre. Right. You know, you, you, it, I don't think you'll be successful. Very few people, I would say, would, would be successful taking on a, a genre like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just thought about You, 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 you kind of have to go what you feel and what you, what you enjoy yourself. I don't know what we're concluding. You know what? I, got, I think I think you're concluding that we got to do whatever the hell we want to do. No, we're concluding have 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 fun with it, and if you're lucky to actually have whatever. I want to make you, a living, though. Right? I want people to read my shit. You know, and if it, and like like I think yeah. of, you know, the, the stuff I really want to write about may be a little obscure for the national taste. You know, like you know, sure. maybe trailer it's part not, fiction is not a huge deal. It's just maybe it's not be. obscure. Maybe you know, if you feel maybe strongly, if you feel strongly about it. I, I, you can bring, you bring anything to life, man. You can write about a fucking rock, and if you do it compellingly enough, it's it's. I wonder if you be talking about your the, rock. You get to the place where you can write whatever the fuck it is you feel like writing is when you're uh, out on the cover of your book. Uh, your name is bigger than the title. <laughs> yeah. After after that, you you know you get a few of those in the bag, and then you can pretty much go out on a limb. I think if you'd like to. You know, lately, right. this is another get, getting old thing. You know, I've been writing a lot lately, man. It's been crazy, actually. And I really have been writing whatever the hell I want because what's the difference? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, like there to is me, a like, difference. I'm like, well, That's the game's over. I'm old. I'm never going to get in the door. And, like, maybe you can't think that way. Maybe, like, well, fuck it. Yeah, the problem with success. Uh, it can, uh, it can, crazy it can, book that I'm writing. I just want to do it all shit, you know. Yeah, well, Anthony Bourdain is a pretty good example. Like you know, success yeah. can actually make you a hack. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, he's mm -hmm. a great, great food writer and he had great success. And then finally, I guess after three or four years, convinced that, like, can you publish the great novel that I wrote? And it was fucking horrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was about, it was about like a, a sushi zombie samurai chefs. <laughs> no, it was like a hat job. He retorted. He sliced like back. Him. Like, you know, he ejaculated. <laughs> he ejaculated. I was like, no, go back to <laughs> I'm not eating at that restaurant. Mm. <laughs> you know, I've got Can you imagine this. A role being called the ejaculated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the departed and there's the ejaculated. That's the sequel. The quick and the the quick and the ejaculated. And as our listeners can tell, this is like some really excellent advice when it comes to writing. And if you would like us to title your next novel, we have our own genre, the Acme genre. We have the Acme title generator. <laughs> you know, I, I think we're 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 reaching the end here, and I want to read something uh, to you guys. Okay, I want to read something from Donald Barthelme. He's yes. awesome. Okay, here we go. The main difficulty with the book business is that a book is two kinds of objects. You have, on the one hand, a thing that a reasonable and prudent man might decide is a book. You have, on the other hand, an object which looks very much like a book, feels very much like a book, but is in actuality a bucket of peanut butter covered with a thin layer of chocolate sauce. These things are sold in the same way. The latter seems to sell better for some mysterious reason than the former. A good example of this that I ran into recently is a book called The First Time, which apparently has to do with accounts of initial sexual experiences of either eminent or reasonably well-known people. This, I would say, is a bucket of peanut butter. <laughs> Actually, they missed. They should have done a book called The Last Time, which would not only be funnier, but more poignant. The idea is copyrighted, by the way. Take notes. The last time. And I think I think we ought to sail off on that. Call it. <laughs> call it I out. love that. Anybody got a last comment? <laughs> well, you, that'll be the last time we do that. You, can you imagine girding up your loins for that? <laughs> the last time. No. The last. That'll be the last time I do that. Okay, it's cue the theme music. The girding, you know. Some funny shit there. All right. Well, you've been listening, uh, for better or worse, to the Acme Writing Academy. This is Rick Crisman thanking you for joining us, along with Bob Clark, Jim Frank, Marcello Vasquez, Mike Magnuson. Have a pleasant rest of your day, and happy writing. Good night. Ta-ta. Adios. That was a lot of fun. That was fun. Entertaining night tonight. That was very entertaining. I'm not sure... It has any educational value. You want educational value? You can take out a fucking student loan. You can take my class.